0: Welcome, story lovers and world under quarantine still. I'm Laurel McCarg, host of Alligator Preserves, and I have with me today acclaimed Brooklyn-based jewelry designer, Frida Rothman. Well, she's not here with me in my closet right now. She's here with me from, I believe, her home in Brooklyn?
1: Yes, that is correct. Welcome, Frida. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Oh, thank you for being here in this crazy, crazy time in the world. Welcome to Alligator Preserves, a weekly podcast about revealing yourself through storytelling, story reading, and story writing, but probably not story arithmetic because that's not a thing. You just might surprise yourself with the secrets you'll uncover. Before we get into any questions about you and and what you do, tell me how you and your family are faring under this COVID-19.
1: you know, every day is a new day. Uh, it feels very surreal and strange. I feel like I'm living through a movie, as I'm sure everybody else. Um, I'm home with my four children. We're all home. I am grateful that I live in, in a larger home and I'm in the last house on the dead end street in Brooklyn. So we're able to go out for some fresh air and not, you know, run into people. So, so far, so good. Lots of family time and, you know, taking one day at a time.
0: How's the homeschooling going? How old are your kids? What's the range?
1: Uh, The range, the youngest is seven. The oldest is 19. And the two girls are 13 and 15. It's tough, let me tell you. Um, They're very well-versed in Netflix. And uh, (laughs) we're trying to teach them as much as we can, but it's definitely difficult. The 19-year-old, thank goodness, you know, takes care of himself and he's studying and he's doing his thing. But,
0: you know, thank goodness there are so many resources out there on the YouTubes and Khan Academy and all those different places where they've got lessons for free, which is great.
1: Absolutely,
0: yes. So everyone's so. everyone's getting along okay? Because this could be a stressful yeah. time.
1: Yeah, no, sure. really, everybody's getting along. We're eating a lot, lots of cooking and baking. And, um, you know, we're just making sure we're going to exercise after this is all over. But um, so far, so good. I'm not complaining.
0: Right. So I recently I'm saw... Happy. I recently saw an article about you going out and delivering meals to Holocaust survivors. Tell me about this. First of all, how many Holocaust survivors are there in Brooklyn? Do you know?
1: I don't know the exact number, but I think Brooklyn has the highest concentration in the whole country of survivors. The article that ran reached over 315 um, news locations and affiliates around the world. Just yesterday alone, so it was a huge article writing about the survivors and their, you know, the position that they're currently in. I'm actually heading out right after this interview to go deliver some more food, and the demand is higher and higher every single day because they are terrified to leave their homes. Yeah, they're they're just nervous because they, you know, we want to keep them safe. We we consider them our national treasures, so we're I trying gonna- to do whatever we can to keep them protected.
0: I was going to ask you, does anything frighten a Holocaust survivor?
1: Actually, it does. Interestingly enough, one of the survivors said she feels like she's back in the ghetto where everybody was, you know, quarantined and everybody was had to stay in their own homes. And we told her, of course, not to worry and we're here for her and we're going to bring her, you know, whatever she needs. But that is so sad that they have to feel that way this, in this time in their life.
0: And you have to keep your distance, I'm sure, when you're visiting them. And so how do you not manage to want to just hug them all?
1: I, I do. I do. I just, you know, we keep telling them that we're here for them. Call me with anything. And they do. The one had called me late at night saying that she was still so hungry. I packed my home-cooked meal. I threw it in the car. I went with my daughter. My My daughters love going to see them. Love, love. Um, we packed some food for her and we brought it to her cause she was hungry at night. And also I feel like she was lonely. So like she, when she opened the door, like even though we, we stood the distance, just like saying hello and seeing that somebody cares, that's the number one thing I hear from them that somebody still cares for them. Yeah. And that for them is like the, the biggest thing, even more than the food. Sometimes if they see a smile, they see somebody that thinks of them, that cares what they have to say. It's unbelievable.
0: It's a little I, thing. I, exactly i I think we're all feeling that way i mean peop my gut sisters with grandchildren and they can't hug their grandchildren i mean this is we're all experiencing this this is this yes. is crazy you have You have a beautiful quote on your website surround, and I'm assuming that this is from you, surround yourself with the dreamers and the doers, the believers and thinkers, but most of all, surround yourself with those who see the greatness within you. Where'd that come from?
1: Um, it actually came from my grandmothers. I truly believe that just, you know, stay very focused. I mean, my grandmother's work always giving me so much confidence probably i think almost everybody has somebody in their life if it's a grandmother or a mother or a father that believes in them and believes in what they're doing and when you surround yourself with positive people you can go so far it gives you confidence it doesn't matter it just gives you confidence that whatever it is that you're doing even though it might be something like you know you'll have some people saying you know who does she think she is or what is she doing and Just don't stay focused on those people. Surround yourself with people that believe in you, in the dreamers, like my grandmothers who came to this country and dreamed of rebuilding their lives. And that confidence and belief in you will give you the strength to, if it it means in business or whatever, in your personal lives, you know, it kind of helps you put blinders on, which I think is so important to do, you know, in everyday life and, and in business and and everything, just put those blinders on and do what you have to do to be successful.
0: All four of your grandparents were Auschwitz survivors? Is that true? No.
1: Um, it was two. my two grandmothers were Auschwitz survivors and my two grandfathers were Holocaust survivors. So they served in the Hungarian army. They were in the Hungarian army, but they were also in the forced labor camps, but they were not in Auschwitz.
0: And how old were you? I, I'm assuming they're not around anymore or are they?
1: No, my last grandmother passed away uh, just about a year ago. Uh, her name was Gita Fischer, and they lived to late 80s, and my grandfather lived to 96. So it was really nice.
0: So you had a lot of time to spend with them, and I know you've seen the greatness in them. How did they see the greatness in you? How, how were you molded by what they saw in you and your interaction with them?
1: it's just, it's so, it's interesting because it could be such a silly little thing. Like, you know, even just saying, you know, you got dressed in the morning and you come down and they make you feel like, uh, like a queen, like you look gorgeous, but your outfit is beautiful. Like, calm down. It's just an outfit, you know, and just that belief, just that making you feel good about yourself. It's so basic and it's so easy for people to do. They're just, They were just very happy people from within and, you know, just giving me that confidence, like, oh my God, I'm the most beautiful girl in the room. Meanwhile, there could be 20 more, but it's, it's so simple. And it just gives you that extra, you know, bounce in your step and that extra confidence. They just saw beauty in life. I think because they understood what was taken away from them and they understood what family meant and to keep family close And if any of you have seen the interviews on Instagram, I've had one-on-one interviews with some survivors and the lessons that they teach the next generation. It's just, again, you can consider, Hey, that's so basic. And of course we understand that, but not all of us practice it. Um, Like having patience with your children. Like, of course I understand I need to have patience with my children. But when someone tells it to you again, it's like, you're right. And then you find yourself, being more patient around your children. So it could be everyday things. I think it's just what they experience and their entire family being killed is that they understood how important family is and we need to build them up. So from their experience, they put whatever their heart and soul into us. If it meant spending time reading books to us, telling us how beautiful we are, how amazing we are, keeping us close, all of those things really gave my family, you know, the children and the grandchildren, you know, the confidence to do whatever it is that we're doing.
0: I live in Colorado now. I grew up in the South Shore of Boston, but uh, we moved to Colorado after my husband retired from the army. And living in Colorado, I often think about the pioneers, especially the women who made this trek and made this journey with no Gore-Tex, no prepackaged meals, no comforts, right? I mean, no, nothing. And I often think to myself, if I start to complain about something, like if I start to feel like, oh, you know, poor me, or I'm suffering or something, I think about them. Have you ever put yourself in your grandmother's shoes? And how do you think you would have fared?
1: It's so it's funny you ask that question. I think about them every single day. Every single day. First of all, their pictures hang all around my house and in the office. And the reason I do that is not only for myself, it's for my team, for my employees, that when we see them, we know not to complain. Everything's going to be okay. Everything is good and it's going to continue to be good and this too shall pass. And it's a reminder for all of us that life will continue and there's always, you know, the good will, will, will eventually come and if we have a little complaint, or I'm having a bad day in business, or an employee came in and told me something that I didn't want to hear, I look at their picture, and it's, it's wild. And I, and I see them, and I say, if they were fine, and they survived, I will be fine. This day is going to be fine. It's just one day, and everything's going to be okay. I mean, that's the positive side. The interesting thing is that when my sisters and I, I have three sisters, when we get together and oftentimes and i think it's just being the grandchild of survivors we all it's in our dna we have these weird conversations because we all have children but like we'll ask each other so what would you have done like would you have gone with the children or would you have, have separated yourself because for labor i'm like why are we even having these conversations but these are conversations we think about like what what would i have done with the kids um all of us look at each other and we're like of course we would have gone with the children. We would have walked right into the gas chambers. And then we look at each other and we're like, are we really talking like that? Like that's such dark thoughts, but we feel our grandmothers in us. Like we understand the position that they were in. I mean, of course we weren't there, but like we feel what they felt. And especially as your mothers, you feel it even more so. when you try to understand what their mothers went through. I mean, none of them had children. They were teenagers, but it's crazy that we speak about them all the time. Like I make sure not to throw out any um, food in the house. We wrap it in a tissue. We respect food. You know, it has to, and if you're going to throw it out, we don't throw it in the garbage can. We feed it to the birds or to the squirrels because you do not throw out food. You know, and if, when I was the kid, if I threw out food, My mother would make me hide it or like she goes, you know, Bobby, that's what we call my grandmother. She's looking, don't, don't throw it out in front of her. So I see I'm doing the same thing with my kids. No, no, no. You have that crust of bread, put it on the porch for the birds. At least somebody's enjoying the food. So, I mean, they're in me every day, every night. I also grew up across the street from my grandparents. So they were like a second set of parents for me. Um, So their mannerisms, the things that they say, the songs that they sang, like, it's very, very much a part of me, and, and and the good, the good, you know, the good part of them is, is with me.
0: Tell me a a funny memory from your grandmother's, any or fun.
1: Oh my gosh, um, my grandmother, um, her name was Bailu Newsom. She was a really, really funny lady. She's the one I grew up across the street from. I can do her accent down pat. So when my husband and I were dating, um, he came to pick me up. And he's standing on on the stair and she very inconspicuously is standing with the shade wide open, like staring and watching every move that he's making. And we go down the stairs and he goes, you know, I can see your grandmother like watching us. I'm like, no, you don't see her. You can't see her. And uh, I come back from the date and, you know, I was talking to her the next day and she goes, I want to tell you something. I looked at the boy and he's a very, very intelligent boy. I'm like, how do you know he's intelligent? You didn't even speak to him. She goes, I saw, I saw he's very intelligent. And it just like, that was her. She just saw the good in everybody. I'm like, you didn't even speak to him. And he ended up becoming my husband. And it's just, it was the funny, it was, that was like classic. You know, she's telling me that he's intelligent and she's, she never even spoke to him, but that was a great story about her. And uh, my other grandmother, I'm trying to think of something funny about her. She was a little bit more serious. This is my mother's mother, but her suffering was so immense during the Holocaust. She, She was 14 years old, and she was the oldest of nine. Not that my other grandma didn't suffer, but at least she had a few siblings that survived. This grandmother arrived at Auschwitz at 14 years old, oldest of nine, and was holding her little sister's hand, the baby. And her, it was chaotic. They arrived at Auschwitz and there was dogs barking. There was German soldiers and, you know, and the, it was just chaos. She, she didn't even know what was going on. And her mother, somebody, another Jewish person that was working, that was already in Auschwitz told her, hand over the baby, hand over the baby. And she, her mother took the baby away from her. And that was the last time she saw her entire family. And she was 14 years old. What inspired me about my grandmother is that she worked in a sweater factory when she came to the United States, never complained. She lived in in Brooklyn. Also, you know, she tried to laugh and live in the moment as much as she was able to, but you always saw that sadness in her eyes. Like it was, she never could fully commit to the moment. She never could really be there. I mean, she never really slept a full night. Um, she always woke up I mean but the crazy part is that all my friends my grandmothers were all survivors and grandfathers so it was like oh your grandmother doesn't sleep middle of the night oh yeah mine's mine yells in the middle of the night and mine you know it was like commonplace for us to be around uh, these heroes I call them heroes so for her it was always with the you know the tinge of sadness and whatever it is that she did it was it was harder for her um, than my other grandmother who was. Always, you know, cracking jokes—not necessarily meaning to—but she just was a very uh, full of joy and, and happiness. So it's interesting how each one was was very different. But I think having one or two living siblings is is so—I mean—makes makes really made her life a huge difference. That she knew she had brothers that survived, mm. and the other one had nobody. She found—I remember one uncle she found. She hung on to him for dear life. till till the end, you know, because it was one family uh, member. And it was interesting because one of the survivors that we asked them, what advice do you have for the younger generation? And her answer was, love your family. Love your family. Every single one of them, you don't realize how important they are to to your life.
0: Trying not to cry here. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. When I taught 10th grade English, I would always teach the story Night by Ellie Weasel. And oh yes. my gosh, I think that's probably the only thing my students will remember forever because, yeah. oh, what a powerful yeah. story. Yeah, yeah it's, it's still unbelievable to many people. Yeah. Oh, all right. You are a second generation jeweler. How old were you? when you knew that you were gonna enter this trade? And who was it that taught you?
1: Um, so I didn't know I was actually gonna you know, be involved in jewelry, but I did grow up in the jewelry business. Um, my father started his sterling silver jewelry line when he was 19 years old on my grandparents' dining room table. And he always describes how he, how he started was he had a bunch of Italian chain in his jacket pockets. He would get in the car And he would just drive around the country. He would drive all the way down to Texas from New York. And he would come back with no jewels, but at least he had some money in his pocket. And that's, and you know, of course, reinvested it until he built a a really nice business. And, you know, during the holiday seasons, during Christmas time, I remember he would give out boxes of jewelry to the neighborhood so they can bag all the jewelry and put them in bags. And he would pay 10 cents a bag. And the whole neighborhood would line up. And everybody would say, "Okay, he's like Mrs. Friedman got a hundred bracelets, and Mr. Klein got fifty earrings." It was it was really nice. Like right before Christmas time, everybody got really really busy to help him in his business. That's what I remember growing up. And my father was the jewelry guy. So every all of my friends got uh, little necklaces with a little bow on it. I remember for their birthdays. So everybody, I had had a lot of group of friends. <laughs> And as I've always been an artist, I've always sketched and painted. I've always been into art, and thank goodness I had that skill set. And after I got married, I, a couple of years in, I started doing private label for other designers working with my dad because his company had grown so big that anybody that wanted to manufacture only 12 pieces or 25 pieces, his company wasn't set up for it. He sold more to like the Macy's of the world and Target. And he said, if you want to run that division, go right ahead. And I found myself working with other designers, and I was doing a lot of the design work for them. And my husband says, you know, you realize you can do this yourself, like you should have your own label. But of course, I was really hesitant and really nervous to take that jump by myself. Um, I asked for my father's blessing, if it's something that, he, you know, I should do. And he goes, go for it, try Um, I'll be there to support you as best as you can, but you know, go for it. And um, I designed my very first collection. I was really nervous to use my own name for the brand. Why? But my why? I was more timid and shy. Like I just didn't have the confidence to be like, oh my gosh, here I am. My name is Rita Rothman, and it's. I was very nervous. And you know, when you put your name on something, you really have to back it up. Like the quality has to be great. Everything about it has to be great. It's, you know, you're taking a step and owning it. And uh, my husband and my husband saw how nervous he was, but he really believed in me. And he went ahead and he placed an order for displays for about $50,000 with my name all over it. And these boxes keep coming with my name, Frida Rothman written all over it. And I'm like, okay, there's no going back. I am now officially the designer of this company, Frieda Rothman, and that was in about 2013. And that's really kind of how it started and started with my very first collection. And I went out to a jewelry trade show and I met with the buyers of Nordstrom. And they launched it in year one in 25 doors. Until today, I always thank Nordstrom because... They gave me, you know, okay, they gave me the confidence, they gave me the credibility that, hey, she knows what she's doing, and she's a real designer. Until then, I didn't feel like I was. And that's really what started my career and gave me the confidence.
0: I understand that feeling of putting your name out there. My first book was published in 2013, and you get that with your name on It's like, oh, boy, I'm an author. Tell me about the piece you're wearing right now.
1: Oh, so the piece I'm wearing is part of my signature collection. What's interesting about the collection is that all the pieces are inspired by Brooklyn. And the reason I choose Brooklyn as my inspiration is because I always talk about finding the, the glam and the grit and finding beauty in Brooklyn the same way my grandmothers did. So this specific pendant has a crisscross design on it. I don't know if you can see it, yes. but it is inspired by the railroad tracks, and uh, the link necklace that I'm wearing is inspired by the chain links that you see on the gates, chain link fences that you see and not, not the fences, the links that you see opening the garages in Brooklyn. Ah. So how can I make that beautiful? How can I take something like that? That's super gritty. And, you know, normally when you think of inspiration, you think of the ocean, the stars, the moon, like things that are just naturally beautiful. But for me, it's almost a game. It's like, okay, I see that fire hydrant. How can I make a piece of jewelry out of that? I see a manhole. The opposite, the flip side is inspired by the manholes in in New York City.
0: That's beautiful. And making
1: that into something beautiful. So, you know, and it's also a lesson for my children. Like we go around and I'll be like, they'll find something super gritty and they'll be like, okay, mommy, what beauty do you see in that? I'm like, do you see the grooves on that? And they're like, oh my gosh, that's so cool. I get it. So I think it's also a great life lesson, is when you, you know, you have lemons make lemonade, like find the beauty in everything.
0: Your goal is to empower every woman to channel the strength, grit, and beauty in the world around us to stay strong in the face of life's many challenges, right? So I met you, my West Point classmate, Sarah Poticha introduced me to you and I'm wondering how you met her and tell us about the line that was inspired by West Point and West Point women.
1: So uh, it was interesting how I met Sarah and what you know that's what's fascinating is like you meet people and then you get ideas and you think of different ways, how you can work together because you really like somebody or you're really inspired by somebody. Um, so we launched um, this campaign called women of strength, which we launched just in the beginning of March in honor of women's history month. And we chose to highlight women that were Holocaust survivors cause they mean a lot to me and my family. And so we went with the women that, you know, meant the most to me, but for the second half of the year, we are highlighting women of strength that are in the military. And I have been um, in the fashion industry for many, many years. I've gone to all the award ceremonies and deeply immersed in, in the New York scene. And what I have found is that many times the fashion world focuses on a certain type of woman and kind of ignores the rest of the women in the country. And I took it upon myself to say, hey, I never see women in the military Spoken about. I mean, they are heroes to me. I don't know much about it, but I'm so I'm like they leave their homes and they leave their children and they they give back to this country. Like I am truly inspired by these women, intelligent, smart women. What can I do? How can which two completely different worlds, fashion and the military? Like how do I you know combine these two worlds? And I was doing an event in Louisville, Kentucky. With a store called davis jewelers and i had a personal appearance there we're doing a trunk show and sarah walked in with her husband and um, she said that she's been following me for a while and she really loves my jewelry she's bought the pieces at davis jewelers and she loved that mixed metal of the black and gold it reminded her of the west point colors
0: black gray and gold yeah
1: yeah and she said i wear it all the time because it really reminds me of those colors and she had written a book and she goes, I'd love to share this book with you. And I said, wonderful. Like it was an honor for me to meet her. Took pictures, put it on my Instagram. Again, I'm always inspired by women like that. Strong, smart women. And I read her book, The Whole Slide Home from Louisville. West and Point then, woman. Mm-hmm. West Point woman. I said, this woman's amazing. And like what she was able to you know, everything that she went through while she was at West Point and being one, you know, one of the first female graduating class. And I just was very, I was very taken by her book. And I came back to my team and I said, I think we identified our next woman of strength. And things kind of, you know, went from there. We started conversations with Sarah and, you know, she encouraged me to, to create a specific line for West Point, um, helped me with design and inspiration. And, you know, I'm really excited for that portion of it to happen the second half of the year and I'm excited to get to know we even went down to West Point and we had a little event with some of the cadets and Sarah gave me a tour and um, I was actually nervous I'm like everybody's so smart here and everybody like what am I going to say this little you know this girl from Brooklyn that's a designer like how's that gonna go and they, it was interesting how they were fascinated to hear about the fashion world and what happens. And and you know what What I found the most fascinating is that being a leader in business had a lot of things in common with being a leader, like leadership quality of like how you get your team together and how you get them to follow you and believe in you and whatever it is that you're doing, that trust. Yeah. And we were able to find that common ground, um, which I was nervous that we wouldn't be able to find it and we were. And it was, I had such a nice time and I'm even in touch with one of the cadets. She wrote me a beautiful handwritten letter and they were calling me ma'am and I couldn't get enough of it. (laughs) I'm like, this is really nice. I'm sending my girls here. Um, And she invited me to come with my daughters and it just was a wonderful, wonderful experience. And I really look forward to working more closely together um, with everybody there.
0: Excellent, excellent. You are a mentor on the Accessories Innovation Committee and you're also a member of the Female Founder Collective. I know, I know that you, when I talked with you earlier, you you talked about giving back to some communities. Are there charities or organizations that, that you donate to from your collection?
1: Yeah, so I'll start with the Accessories Innovation Committee. It is a a group of young mentors that are part of the Accessories Council, which is a nonprofit group here in New York City that helps young designers that are just starting out. I wish I had that when I was starting out because I've made so many mistakes before I finally figured out what, you know. So we're kind of helping them avoid those mistakes, um, giving them. uh, So each one of the mentors is about six of us. Um, specialize in certain fields. So one of us specializes in manufacturing. One of them specializes in the technology of setting up the EDI and all the computer, uh, all of you know the things that you need to set up a business to work with a department store or with retail stores. Um, another one specializes in social media. So each of us have our skill set, and we work with these young designers to help build their businesses and any questions that they have. And it's a six month. Uh, period of time, so they really have a nice amount of time to learn and to ask questions, and um, and then we switch off every six months or so. And we've seen some of these businesses really, really grow and, and have gotten into you know partnerships with Nordstrom, and it's it was beautiful. It's really is beautiful to watch. And you know, as mentors ourselves, we also learn from each other. Like even this morning, we all got emails. Everybody's suffering through this economy right now. And, you know, we're all kind of feeling each other's pain and, and, and emailing each other and figuring out ways that we can be of help to each other and what other programs there are for our businesses to be able to stay afloat in this very difficult time. I mean, everybody's purchase orders are getting canceled left and right. So we're all trying to figure out a way how to still continue breathing. And um, as far as an organization that I'm connected with, I am working very closely with an organization called Nahas Health and Family Network. It is an organization that's Brooklyn based and helps elderly um, people in, in need. So if it means food packages, which right after this call, I'm going to go deliver some food packages, uh, provides food and clothing. I know one of the, somebody needed a vacuum cleaner, you know, whatever it is that they need to sustain themselves, to live a happy life the Nachas organization will do it for them. Would you spell that Um, for me? Sure. It's Nachas, N-A-C-H-A-S, Health and Family Network. Okay. And um, I got to know this organization through speaking with one of the survivors, Dolly Rabinowitz. um, When we originally started interviewing with her, she introduced me to Mrs. Horowitz, who runs this organization, and she does tremendous tremendous work for um, the elderly in, in in New York and what's unbelievable is that her office is hole in the wall. she is doing this a hundred percent for I mean selfless like I've never seen I've never seen something like that like I've heard of charity organizations and you walk in and their offices are on the top floor of I don't know where and and something about what how she does it and you can see that it's so selfless, And she'll give the shirt off her back just to make sure that these people are taken care of.
0: And that's really She's got the grit. She's got the grit. She's got
1: the grit, and and she's doing it for real. Like, it's not, she's not in it for fame. She's not in it. She's so funny because I'm trying to get her to speak to all of these news that, you know, the Associated Press and the New York Times. And she goes, no, no, Frida, you speak to them. I'm like, no, that's how selfless she is that she will not even put herself out there. She's just so wants to take care of the elderly. And it's it's amazing to watch it. So that's the organization that I'm very passionate about and involved with.
0: That's awesome. Did your grandmothers wear jewelry? Do, do you have any pieces that were theirs? Uh, Yes, I actually do. My grandmothers wore
1: lots of jewelry because my grandmother and my father's side had two sons in the jewelry business, so they had lots of jewelry. There is a heart necklace that my grandmother bought me when I was 16, and she came with me to the jewelry store. She bought it for my graduation. It was my uh, 12th grade graduation, and she came with me, and it's tight on me. It fits like up to here, but I will not change it. (laughs) I will not touch it. It's the shape of a heart. And it. I mean, I think everybody can relate to this, how much jewelry means to you when somebody gives it to you. And it's so heartfelt. And, you know, when she came with me to the store and she bought it, but um, there are pieces right now, the pieces that they had is at, you know, with their children.
0: I don't have anything
1: that they specifically owned, but there is you know, aside from jewelry, there's incredible artwork that I have for my grandparents. It means a lot to me because I paint also, and that's what I, re- I really wanted, that artwork. And um, that's what I have. I can share a picture with you afterwards.
0: Please yeah. uh, send it to me, and I can put it in my show notes with links to sure, photos yeah. after this. That would Very,
1: be- very moving, moving photo was painted by my grandfather's sister who survived the Holocaust. And just to show you where their mind is, that she painted the synagogue um, that they used to pray in. And it, the synagogue is beautifully painted, and it's all in flames. Oh. But it looks like it's an unbelievable picture. And I, I remember every time I went to visit them as a kid, I used to look at that painting and like, what is that? Like, why is the synagogue in flames, you know? And, of course, when I was little, my mother would shush me and be like, don't worry, it's nothing, you know? And then, of course, as I got older, and then my Children, when we would go visit, they would sit there staring at that painting, too, and asking me the exact same questions, like, what is that painting? So that one, I begged for that one. I'm like, I really, really want that painting. Oh. So I was able to get that one, and it's really, really special to me.
0: Yeah, please send me a picture of that. I Ugh. will. Where are your pieces made, Frida?
1: Um, the pieces are made in two places. So my father owns a factory in Bangkok, Thailand, which he opened about 25 years ago. Wow. Uh, and so we manufacture some pieces in the Bangkok factory, and we also work with a factory in China, which has been working with my family for close to 35 years.
0: Beautiful. What's your favorite color?
1: I'm from New York, so it's black. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: favorite. It's always
0: black. <laughs> favorite flower? Uh, tulips. Nice. Are they coming up yet? in Brooklyn? Uh, Not yet. Not yet. Starting. It's starting.
1: starting. Everything is starting to sprout here and I'm like I can't stop taking pictures and I just I love it.
0: Frida, um, do you make custom pieces?
1: Um, No, I do not make anything custom um, because we prepare markets. So like a year in advance, I start designing my collections. Um, If I was working with 14 karat gold and diamonds, I probably would do more custom work, but because it's sterling silver, price point ranges between 100 and 350. Um, It's more, you know, we produce in in mass and we have more of a mold. It wouldn't make sense to do things that are custom.
0: Maybe in the future, you're still really young. Maybe
1: in the future, exactly.
0: (laughs) If someone wanted to send a Mother's Day gift, uh, in addition to a pack of toilet paper, um, (laughs) where would they find you? Where would they go?
1: So you can find it on the website at frida.rothman.com. But please note, Frida is spelled with an E-I instead of I-E, and um, that's my mother's fault, not mine.
0: <laughs> she named I me. before E, except after C. Right? I it's don't know Frida, what yeah. happened
1: there, but it's E-I. It's frida.rothman.com, and you can also follow on Instagram. Um, I'm always posting stories. I'm always, you know, the, the feed itself is great, and you can really see the work that we do, and of course, design and inspiration. There's a lot on there as well.
0: Is there anything else you'd like to share with our visitors today?
1: Yeah, I'd i love to share that, you know, speaking about Mother's Day, um, I designed a special bracelet that has the word strength written on it in the front and in the back. I designed it for women to believe in their own inner strength. We don't even realize how strong we are. I'm actually wearing it right now. It has the word strength written on it. Oh, beautiful. In, thank you. It's set in the black rhodium which is a black texture which is inspired by the street tops of new york city and it has the word strength facing you when you look at it and then when you turn it around you have the word strength on the other side so you give yourself strength and then you pass the strength on to the next person and i did this um, inspired by my grandmothers and their strength and Every woman doesn't realize how strong we are. And I say this a lot from the moment we wake up till the moment we go to sleep, how much we do in one day. I don't think we realize our power and our strength. And if we are happy and we are pleasant and we're singing and we're, we, our effect on everybody around us, it really is the mother, the woman that sets the tone in the house. It, it really is that way. And they say, you know, happy wife, happy life. But I see it a difference in my kids. I see it a difference in my husband. When I'm smiling and laughing, even though it might be hard for you, realize what a difference you can make in, in, in everyone around you in their day. Um, we have such a huge impact on people that I just want to say that again. And I think that is a beautiful gift as a Mother's Day gift, the strength bracelet. A portion of the proceeds of that bracelet goes back to Naha's Health and Family Network. And in every package, it's going to come with a little romance card describing the inspiration of the strength bracelet and a quote from a Holocaust survivor. Wow. So I just, I'm very excited to share that because I think it's, you know, it's it's twofold. It's a wonderful gift and you're showing your mother. And showing them their strength. And it's not just for mothers. You can get it for yourself, too. And it gives you that inner strength to just like, hey, this day is going to be okay. Everything is fine.
0: Frida Rothman, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing in your community. I want you to be safe. I want you to be successful. I wish you the best of luck and health. I so appreciate you taking time today before you go out to deliver more meals to Holocaust survivors. I'm just, I'm truly touched by this and, and honored Thank that you. you spent some time with me today.
1: Thank you so much, Laurel. Thank it was a you pleasure very much. You.
0: And be safe. Yeah. Bye. Oh, that ends my amazing visit with jewelry designer Frida Rothman. You can find today's show notes with links and photos on my website at Laurel.com. Email me at laurelstreckpress.com at and follow me on Twitter at Ledville Laurel. If you enjoyed this and other episodes, please subscribe to Alligator Preserves wherever you get your episodes. And please encourage your friends to subscribe as well. Check out the links that I have to places mentioned in my interview with Frida. I hope you will consider supporting her work and the communities she supports. Come back tomorrow and I'll talk about something else. And until then, behave, be good, be safe, be smart, be creative. Take good care of yourselves and others. Thanks for visiting. Bye. Alligator Preserves is hosted and produced by Laurel McCard with technical support provided by her husband, Mike McCard. Follow her on her website at leadvillelorel.com where she writes about life, real, and imagined. If you enjoyed this podcast, you might enjoy her books. Find her work at amazon.com.